Gentlemen, you are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungamak, and I am the founder and curator of this show. I love being able to share my journey into masculinity with you. Uh, about three or four years ago, I looked around and said, look, I'm not the man I want to be. I'm not becoming the man I want to be, and I don't see a lot of examples of the man I want to be around me. I was one of those guys who was raised in an excellent household full of uh, just phenomenal Christian leaders and, and surrounded by men both in the church and the community and in my family um, who were excellent examples of godly masculinity and manhood. And I got to be about 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, and I realized I didn't have all the answers, and neither did they. We never will. And that pursuit of masculinity is something that takes an entire lifetime. And many of the men in my life had that figured out, and I didn't. So one day I looked around and said, I, I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to live like this anymore. And I started to study. I started to read. I started to dig into scripture. started to dig into books and authors writing about scripture. started digging into some of the scholars of masculinity and manhood, both contemporary, both modern and uh, ancient, and even around the turn of the century as well. And I love being able to share what I'm learning with you. And this is the fruit of my labor. This podcast um, shows an accurate picture, an accurate picture of my own growth. If you start at the beginning and you <laughs> you listen all the way through, you're gonna hear me change and you're gonna see me grow. Um, and I, and I love that. I appreciate that. That's why I haven't deleted any of those early episodes because I want to see you. I want people to see where I started. I want people to be able to grow with me and see the great things that God is doing in my life and in my heart. And He continues to do that, and I can clearly see um, the growth that I've experienced. And I hope that you can too. And I hope that you can experience similar growth as the Spirit works through me in your heart and in your mind. I pray that this is a blessing to you. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples podcast. Now, Christ for Disciples podcast is put out by Pastor Paul Steinberg, who is the leader of the chapels and schools uh, ministry here in Milwaukee. They also just started a church up here in Milwaukee. So if you have, uh, if you have it, a man, pray for him. Pray for them. They're doing incredible things, um, and I couldn't be happier to see uh, what they're doing. And I, and I hope sometime soon to have the opportunity to get over there and, and worship with them as well as they as they grow, as he would say, in grace and gospel power. The Christ for Disciples podcast applies God's word to raising the next generation. Take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe for the Christ for Disciples podcast at ChristForDisciples.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Guys, this is an excellent podcast. It's designed for people who interact with children who are helping guide and raise children in the Lord and in the Word. It's an excellent resource for all of us, um, and it's a daily listen for me. Um, he continues to be... Um, a man who <laughs> inspires me, um, but also a spiritual guide um, as I get to listen to him daily and interact with him often around the city of Milwaukee. So go and share in that resource. If you would like to hear your ministry or your business or your book or whatever it is advertised on the Gird Up podcast, feel free to reach out to me at the end of the show. Uh, all my information is at the end of the podcast. We would love to make a deal with you and get your stuff out there for men of the world to see. Let's get started with our show. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. 
it's that time of year, guys, where um, I, well, I guess it's not the time of year. I, so I'm a teacher. I love to teach and my, um, my convictions are strong. And so uh, when I get to spend lots and lots and lots and lots of time with kids, it becomes very, very, very apparent to me that school is not designed for boys. It's really not even designed for kids. School um, has school in its modern form has this like um, factory kind of feel to it where you, you find completion in this stage and you go to the next stage and the next stage. And in some ways, that is a good thing. Because we can clearly gauge what kids are learning and where they are in their growth. Um, and in many ways, it's also kind of a rite of passage as kids are growing up and they have to meet different academic and uh, academic and developmental goals as they, as they journey through school. Um, but the reality is, particularly for boys, it's just not the way boys learn. And it's just not the way boys are built. Boys... If you've ever spent a lot, if you've ever had a son, if you've ever <clears throat> spent a lot of time around young boys, they're just made different than little girls are. And, and, and neither boys or girls are designed to just sit still all day and, and shut up and learn, right? Um, even though that's the way many schools are designed. Um, but boys in particular, they, they have this visceral, physical aspect to them that needs to be explored. They love to wrestle. They love to, they love to get in arguments and push and shove and, and all those kinds of things. And, and they, man, they, they just need that. Uh, and today I want to talk a little bit about why. Um, and, and the reality is that, that we don't, when we, when we don't let boys grow and develop that way, um, they really start to struggle with their identity as men, and then we end up in the situation where we're in right now. And my greatest concern, and sometimes my greatest frustration, is that while the world is messed up, and we shouldn't be surprised about that, the church, for some reason, um, seems to think, at times at least, that the world is right on gender, the world is right on boys, and we start to reflect the wisdom of the world in our own dealing with boys, and our own dealing with men, and our expectations for men, um, even though the scriptures clearly tell us, and history clearly tells us, that this is the wrong approach. So, I want to start by talking about the War of 1812. The War of 1812 was the first great war that happened after the Revolutionary War, right? We're a new nation, we're a young nation, we've just won our independence, but Great Britain didn't want to recognize the United States as a sovereign nation, they didn't want to recognize... Um, the United States as their own entity. They wanted the United States to go back under the authority of the, the English crown, similar to Canada, right? And so we end up fighting another war. Um, and, and during the course of this war, um, the, the, uh, all the famous buildings and things in Washington, D.C. were burned. The White House was burned. Washington, D.C. was destroyed. Many forts were destroyed. Um, that's the uh, war um, that's reflected in the national anthem. The wa- rockets went red glare, the bombs bursting in air. You know, the flag made it through the night. Um, but it was a very destructive war. It was a very difficult war, and it was very bloody, and it was long. And um, it did some really great things for our nation and, and our country. It solidified us as, as you know, our own sovereign nation and effectively ended um Great Britain's power over us. It was one of the first big losses of the British Empire. But at the end of the war, there was the Battle of New Orleans. Now, the Battle of New Orleans took place right at the end of the war. In fact, the 
Battle of New Orleans happened after the War of 1812 was over. Um, the Battle of New Orleans is important because it, it was another and really the last decisive victory that the young American nation had to win um, in order to separate themselves completely, permanently from the British Empire. Um, and it propelled Andrew Stonewall Jackson to prominence and popularity, and as you know, he became a president and, and <laughs> an important figure in, in American history. But before the Battle of New Orleans ever began, the British and American forces had signed a treaty. They had signed the Treaty of Get, day, Gent, Get bleh, days before, and the battle, um, as great a victory as it was, had no meaning in the war. Um, it had no effect or impact on the war or on a final victory because the victory had already been won. Imagine for a second, though. So that's that, those are the facts. I want you to enter that scene once. Pretend you're Andrew Jackson and imagine that you, that a runner comes to you in the middle of the battle of New Orleans um, he has, and he has a, a, a document that he gives you, and you read it, and you find out that the war is over. And you also find out that the British commander has no idea that the war is over and that he's not ready to stop. If you're Andrew Jackson in that situation, you have two choices, right? The first choice, the first choice would be to surrender and allow both his men and the citizens of the city, the citizens of New Orleans, fall into the hands of an enemy who does not acknowledge final victory and likely is not going to give it back even when final victory has been declared and discovered. Right? And in the meantime, they're going to be captives, they're going to be prisoners of war, and this, is a, this has been a long, bloody, um, and violent war, and difficult both for the citizens of the United States and for both armies. Or, if you're Andrew Jackson, you, continue, you can continue to fight the battle, to win the battle, and protect the citizens of New Orleans, and... Once and for all, vanquish the foe, right? Drive them out, um, and even though the war is officially over, to just get them off your land, right? And I think the choice is obvious. Anybody with sense in their mind says you protect the citizens of your country, you win the battle, right? Well, you and I are in a very similar situation. Jesus has won a final victory for us, right? Jesus, uh, we know the story of Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. He sat on the throne of heaven. He sat in the judgment seat. Um, because he loved us, he stepped off of his throne. He came down. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived 30 years on this earth as the perfect human being. He was a perfect child. He was a perfect man. We even see an example in scripture of when he was 12 years old. He put the study of the word of God and understanding God's will for his life, he put that above even his family, just as we all should. What a great example to follow. And for 30 years, he lived as a perfect man, and then he began his public ministry. He healed thousands. He did great miracles. Um, he fed thousands multiple times. He walked on water and he taught for three years explicitly taught his disciples everything they needed to know about heaven and and everything they needed to know about the spiritual world and he also prepared them then for their mission after his resurrection which would be to bring this message of truth this gospel message to people all over the world which they did which were there they were very successful in but before they could do that he had to die he was our substitute so he went to the cross he willingly gave himself up. In fact, he even inflamed and enraged the Jewish leaders so that they would kill him. And then when he was whipped and beaten and tortured and crucified, 
He was dead for three days. And he rose again on the third day. The scriptures tell us um, leading a parade out of hell with captives in his train. And he came back, he walked on the earth again, did more miracles, greeted his, his disciples, and then ascended into heaven and promised that he will come back before the world's end. He will come back and he will take all those who believe in him to be with him in eternity back in Eden just like we were created to be before the fall. Jesus has won final victory, but by his wisdom... And, and, and the reasons why and what his wisdom might be is for a different podcast at a different time. But by God's great wisdom, he has decided not to vanquish the foe yet. He has not cast the enemy out of earth, and he has not taken away the power of the devil to tempt, devour, and destroy. Which means that you and I, while we have already been given a gift of eternal life, must die. And that you and I, though we already have been promised that we will spend eternity with our Father in heaven, must spend years on this earth dedicating our lives to our Heavenly Father and trusting that he will take us home to be with him, trusting that the resurrection covers our own sins, that God's Christ's sacrifice washed away every single one of our sins, that we no longer stand guilty and condemned, and that we will spend eternity with him. And there's a picture clearly painted in scripture of a church militant. Paul consistently refers to fellow apostles and missionaries as good soldiers or soldiers for Christ. He makes it clear that they are in a battle. David in Psalm 23 declares that the paths of righteousness that the Lord is going to lead us down, right? You lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Even though I walk through a dark valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. David confirms, he says, the paths of righteousness will often lead us down deep, dark valleys, paths that are not lit, dangerous places that this journey will not be an easy one. We are the church militant and we are daily at war against the devil and his angels, the world which would love to lead us astray and the sinful flesh which is actively trying to derail our journey heavenward. You and I are locked in a mortal conflict. Whether we like to talk about our spiritual reality in terms of warfare or as a long, hard, dangerous journey or as a wrestling match or simply just a daily struggle, the theme is the same. We are locked in this mortal conflict with the most dangerous of enemies. And this is an enemy who can and will do everything short of killing us to lead us astray, to pull us off the path, and to wound, torment, and distract us. He will do anything to disrupt our journey heavenward. But we have a promise. If we walk with the Father in, in spirit and in truth, we have absolutely nothing to fear. We have to recognize that walking in the way, though, is anything but easy because the enemy is trying to get us off the path. And because my sinful flesh is tainted and because my sinful flesh is ruined and I cannot walk in the path as I should, as Paul declared, I cannot do the good I want to do, the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing, I cannot save myself from this body of death, therefore I have a savior. 
And just as we wouldn't go into battles in, in, in the world, earthly battles alone, just as we wouldn't send young men to war without preparing them and training them properly, just as you wouldn't send your children on a long, hard journey without proper preparations, we cannot in good sense and good conscience allow our sons to be thrust into the battles and traps and trials and hardships of life without being properly prepared. God has built men and women to, by his power, succeed in this endeavor, right? To succeed on this path of righteousness, to succeed in pursuing him and following him and following in the way he should lead, which will ultimately end in our eternity in heaven. His love and mercy and sacrifice have overcome our sinfulness and he has given us every tool we need in order to walk the way of life. Manhood is earned, masculinity is learned, and we must prepare our boys for the battle that they are ultimately going to face. The wisdom of the world is raising a generation of soft and effeminate and confused and frustrated boys who not only are not prepared for the battles that life has in store for them, but who have been brainwashed their entire lives into believing that those battles don't even exist, that evil doesn't even exist, that morality is just a construction made by men, that sexuality is meaningless and frivolous and, and, and has no impact on our lives, that God is small and has no power. In fact, that men have power over God. C.S. Lewis nailed it on the head at the uh, end of the first chapter of The Abolition of Man when he says, we make men without chests and expect them Expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. We're not making men. We're making artifacts. We're making confused and frustrated shells of men. We're effectively refusing to let them be men. And then we wonder how we get in the messes that we find ourselves in. We need to let boys be boys. We need to let boys wrestle. We need to let boys challenge themselves. We need to let boys pursue their interests. We need to let boys be a little bit dangerous, to have adventures, to scrape their knees, to bump their heads, to have bruises, to rip their jeans. We need to let boys have adventures. We need to, pract- we need to let them practice the roles they are going to play. If we want them to be warriors, we must let them act like young warriors, like boys who are going to be warriors one day. I'm not suggesting that we let our sons run wild and naked and untamed and never teach them any manners and never teach them how to behave and never teach them how to be civilized. (laughs) But we also ought not domesticate our sons the boys who will one day be men who will need to fight our battles for us when we are no longer able. If you're listening to this show, it's likely that you've taken some ownership of your masculinity, some ownership of your faith, some ownership of your journey heavenward, and you've got at least some things figured out, right? And you're leaning on the Father for strength and for guidance and for dignity. You're leaning on him to be your Savior and King, We must prepare our boys to do the same. And if they've never faced any hardship or struggle, if they've never had any bumps or bruises before they enter the real world, they're just not going to be prepared to find success on our walk heavenward. 
And the church, for some reason, is complicit in this. Not every church, and not specifically my church. But often, the people of God are complicit in this confusion. Maybe not to the extent of the world, but how often do you find real men following Jesus? Not as often as we should. I think the reason I wanted to talk about this at all today is that, is that it has been an issue that's been coming up in my classroom and in, in our school the last couple of weeks. But most of all, I was, at a, I was at a men's conference this weekend, which was a wonderful men's conference and it was put on very well, and I don't have anything negative to say about it at all. But I noticed something. I noticed something. We sang the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. And the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, is one of my favorites. It's one of those hymns that I memorized and I'll sing it when I'm fishing or sing it when I'm driving my truck. I'll sing it when I wake up in the morning. I'll sing it when I'm going to bed in the evening. I'll sing it when I'm taking a shower and I'll drive my roommate a little bit nuts with it. Because the words are so powerful. And this is what we sang. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great father and I thy true son. Thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. And those are lovely verses. And they hit on some key sins, some key temptations for men. That I might um, be, be proud, right? We pray for humility in this piece. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Forget about what I want and desire. Forget about um, my interests, Lord. Let you let yourself be my vision, Lord. Lord, be my vision. Day or night, waking or sleeping, let the light of your presence guide me. In verse 2, he talks about wisdom. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. Be my great father, let me be thy son. Dwell in me. And let I let me dwell in you. Riches I need, I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Lord, don't let riches, don't let anything else, don't let pride, don't let recognition, popularity, money, wealth, status, don't let anything else sit on the throne of my heart, Lord. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. Let my treasure be you. And we can agree with all those verses, and those are good. But what I want to reflect on is the verse that got left out. Because we didn't sing verse 3. Verse 3 says the following. Be thou my battle shield, sword for my fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight. Thou my soul's shelter, thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward, O power of my power. And my question for you is why has the church at large, again, not talking about the conference I was at, it was wonderful and lovely and they just took the words out of the hymnal, but why does the church at large, pretty much any church in America, why do we take that verse out of the hymn? Is it because it stands against scripture? No, it's because it's not socially acceptable. It's because it's not accepted anymore because it's not the popular vision of Christianity that God might be my wisdom God might be my motivation God might be you know the guide on my daily walk but God cannot like I, there's no battle here there's no fight this doesn't apply to us because we're not warriors we're not supposed to talk about God in violent terms we're not supposed to be hostile we're supposed to be kind and gentle and meek and mild and, and, and at times, we should be. 
the fruits of the spirit will at times make us meek and mild and, and, and but but never never at the expense of the glory of God and never at the expense of a soul we need to recognize the hardships that are going to face us and our families, and our children, and we need to actively prepare for them. You can't just hide. You can't just expect that when the hardships come, you'll be fine. You need to prepare. You and I need to prepare. We need to lean on each other to do that. We must, as men, challenge ourselves, test our mettle, let our children test their mettle, and, and, and guide them into a situation, guide them into a future where they are prepared for what they are going to face, particularly in the spiritual realm. We give them good educations. We work hard and make sure they got food in their bellies, that they have books to read, that they have clothes to wear, that they have a college fund prepared for them. We also must prepare them for the spiritual battles they will face. That's my encouragement, I guess, today. Gentlemen, don't get lulled into thinking that there's no evil in the world, there's no wickedness in the world, that there's no great battle to fight. We need to be prepared for the day the devil comes knocking. The, pre- prepared for the day the flesh inflames. <laughs> the day where hardships come. The day where evil gets its head in the door. Where the wolves can't be kept at bay. We need to be prepared for that. So we might fight spiritual battles with strength and dignity and honor. And in our Savior's name. The Savior who loved us. Who has given us life who promises that he will never leave us alone, that he will equip us for every need we might ever have. That's the God we have in heaven. He may describe the devil as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, but he describes himself as a knight on a white horse. He describes himself as the lion of Judah. You and I are shaped and fashioned in his image. You and I are sons of a great and mighty king, the greatest and mightiest of kings. And so are our sons. So we might as well act like it. Have a good week, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.